Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Yeah, so I'm going to be continuing in a series that we, Pastor Shane was doing in January about drawing near to God. I'm just going to be kind of wrapping it up. And so he talked a lot about drawing near to God and that this year we need to step up and step in, that if God is who he says he is, and if we're serious about being Christians, then we need to um, pursue relationship with him and pursue intimacy with him. And that if, you know, we need to step into the calling that he's given us as his church and as his believers. And um, as he was sharing the last installment of that, I was sitting in the front row and I just felt like God put a message on my heart so clearly around this topic. And then Pastor Shane didn't have anyone to preach this service. And I was like, oh, I have something that's been on my heart. And he's like, sure, go for it. So I'm really excited because it was something that God was speaking to me about a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's just, it's about kind of the application of how we draw near to God in our daily normal lives and what it looks like to step into the calling of God in our daily normal lives. And I think sometimes we think the ideal of drawing near to God and being spiritual and stepping into our calling is like being at youth camp all the time. All you do is worship the Lord and listen, like you're at color conference all the time or whatever it is, you just worship the Lord and listen to sermons 24-7 and that's what pursuing God and stepping into the calling of God is. Or maybe we think it's like being like a monk or a nun and going away and like secluding ourselves and dedicating ourselves wholly to God, which is amazing for people who do that, but that's not obviously all of our callings. Or maybe it's, you know, we think it's you've got to spend four or five hours studying the word and being really spiritual and praying every single day. Um, like for five hours or something and so I think like but we know we can't all do that like that's not realistic we've got kids we've got jobs and all that but I think sometimes we think that that's the ideal that that's what God really wants and he kind of just settles for second best in our ordinary lives and there's there's so much value in youth camp and conferences and you know if monks and nuns and all of that but for most of us we live these lives we live lives of you know family squabbles and heaps of laundry which piled up because it rained for a week and then we finally thought it was sunny and we hung it on the line and then it rained out of nowhere again and all our laundry got wet again. I finally have clean clothes, guys. It's very exciting. Um, You know, and our pets make messes and there's bills to be paid and there's people we find hard to work with and our car breaks and sometimes our fridge breaks at the most inconvenient of times. There's always lots to do. We're sitting in the lounge and we keep staring at that patch on the wall that we've got to paint and we keep forgetting to go touch up that patch on the wall or we scratch it with a chair and we need to paint it. And this is like the reality of our lives and the things that go through our minds. And so often I think it's like we got put God in a separate box. It's like this is our real life that we live in and we live here and we work here and we have our families here and we, you know, do sport and all the things we love and we watch our TV shows. And then over here is the spirituality box and we come over here and we pray and we worship God. And if anyone was to ask, you know, what's your religion? You'd say, I'm a Christian and God is in your religion box and he's king there and he's Lord there and he's your savior. But then we kind of live our lives just our everyday life normal lives there and I don't think it's because of anything like necessarily sinful in us I think it's because of the way that we as westerners see the world we see the physical and the spiritual as being quite separated you know we see that you know fixing our car and worshiping the Lord are very separate things you know we've got our car that needs fixing 
and that's very practical and it's a necessity. And then over here is worshipping the Lord and that's amazing. And we see that, you know, heaven is way out there spiritual and we live here in this world that's very physical. And so I think that marks the way we see our lives. But if you um, look at the way, like the worldview of basically all the people that wrote this book and lived in this time, their world was very holistic. They believed that the spiritual world and the physical world were very interrelated. For the people who weren't Jews or Christians, they believed that the spirits caused the weather. You know, the, the god of rain was angry, and so that's why they had a drought, and then when they appeased him, it would rain. And obviously, we don't believe that, and that's not what God teaches or what the Jews believed. But that was the worldview that they lived in, where... Everything that happened was very spiritual and very physical at the same time. It was that, that, that their worlds were all together. And we live in a time now where we kind of separate those things. And I think it can kind of impact the way that we worship God and what we think drawing near to God looks like. And this idea started way back with a group of people. There were some early, an early sect of the church called the Gnostics. I think I've talked about them a couple of times, maybe Sunday nights, but I'll just give a quick rundown because I think it's so important to our understanding of the New Testament and to our understanding of how a thought idea from thousands of years ago can impact the way that we live lives today. So way back then, when the church was still new. So you, you guys heard we sung that song, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So that is the basically based on the Nicene Creed. And so the Nicene Creed is when the church... Like the churches were all fighting and the emperor's like, oh my gosh, you guys are being a pain. I'm going to lock you in this room until you can all agree on what you believe on and then I'm going to let you out. So they finally did and they wrote down the Nicene Creed and they said, okay, this is what we agree on. This is what we believe in. And that is still like the statement of faith for most churches to this day, which is amazing. But before that, there was heaps of churches that believed, like heaps of different sects that believed different things. And one of the ones that emerged was the Gnostics. And so what they believed is that um, the spiritual was really good. It was really, really good. Everything spiritual was good. But the physical, like our bodies, was bad. It was almost like what they believed is that we were like spiritual beings trapped in these physical bodies. And so Jesus could not possibly have been really a human because humans and physical things are bad. He was just like a fake human or like a phantom because he could not possibly have been human because everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. And out of that, the belief was, you know, people who work on spiritual things are good and holy and people who work on physical things are bad and sinful. And that was the way they thought. And obviously that's not the doctrine that the church teaches anymore and that's not what's in the Nicene Creed. But that seed thought from back then, I, I believe it has still permeated the way that we see life as Christians today and as Westerners today. I think we see that, you know, the necessities of life are just things we're stuck with and things we're trapped with. And really God just wants us to worship him forever and just pray all day long. But we have to clean the floors. And it's just something that we're trapped with. And we see them as really separate things. And so when we hear draw near to God, we hear, I mean, you might not hear this, but sometimes I hear, oh, I've just got to pray more. I've just got to read my Bible more. And those things are great. Yes, do that. Yes, come to church more. Yes, worship more. All those things are amazing. We do draw near to God here in the box where we often put God. But I think that God wants to call us to draw near to him 
in all of our lives and to see him in all of our lives. So I just want to read a passage from um, Colossians, from Colossians chapter 1. So this is Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 15. And so this is like a bit of a poem or maybe it was a song that they sang in the early church um so paul was writing to the church at colossi and he wanted them to know this so sometimes when there was a really crucial truth they'd make a song out of it because we can remember songs and so he when they wanted to really remember something or a crucial truth about faith they would make a song about it so this is um a song or a poem from the early church obviously not in the original language so it won't sound like a poem but nevertheless we'll read okay it says christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. For through him, God created the spiritual and the physical. He made things we can see and things we can't see. He made the physical and the spiritual, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. For everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And what that passage says over and over and over again is that God is supreme over all. God created all. He works through all. He has redeemed all. No part of human existence is untouched by the rule of Jesus. No part of our daily lives is untouched by the rule of Jesus. And so I want to talk about two things out of that this morning and two things related to what Pastor Jane's been talking about. The first one is that we actually have to acknowledge God as king over all of our lives. And I know for so many of us, we already have done that. And we maybe just, it's just good to remember and to think about. For some of us, that may be a new idea. Some people here, maybe you don't even know God at all. Um, And this is your first time hearing about him in this way. But I just think it's, you know, good for all of us to engage and lean in and remember again that Jesus is Lord of all. God is not separate from your dog threw up on the carpet and your car battery died world. He's not separate from that. He's not in heaven like, oh, I wonder what that's like. That must be inconvenient. Come worship me now and listen to worship songs. Like he's not not separate from our everyday life world. He's not dwelling over in heaven and has no idea about your work dramas or the fact that your to-do list is too long. And I think sometimes we forget that whatever it is we do as our job and whatever it is we're passionate about, He's the God of that too. He's the God of engineering, of accounting, of sales, of childcare, of family, of hairdressing, of styling, of teaching, of surfing. Whatever it is you love, insert your job and your passions. He's actually the God of those things and the expert on those things. God is the best engineer in all the world. He's the best electrician in all the world. He's not looking down like, dad, dang, they discovered electricity. I was hoping they wouldn't do that. 
I was hoping they'd stay in the Stone Age. Like, the story of God starts in a garden and ends in a city. He knew we would develop and wanted us to. He's not like, ah, the internet. Gosh, shouldn't have made it so that the internet could have existed. My mistake. Like, he wanted us to. He's the God of the internet. He gets it. He, like, he made the world so that the internet could exist. He made the world so that we could create computers one day. You know, he buried microchips, like the thing that would make microchips work for computers in the sand. This is his world. He's actually the greatest at any field. He's the best surfer in the world. If God surfed, he'd be the best, and he knows how to be the best at that, the best at all these things. He is the Lord of all these things. He's not in heaven like, hmm, calculus. What is that? I only count angel hairs and multiply blessings. Like, he's the designer of math. He knows the answer to math questions that we haven't even thought to ask yet. And I think sometimes we forget the earthiness of God. He actually created this. He created skin and wood and a world in which plastic could be made. You know, he actually, you know, and air and trees and all of it, he actually made this world of math and chemistry and cuddling and psychology and sex and beauty and, you know, a world in which we would have clothes and fashion and all these things. He is Lord over all and he is in all. He's not over here in a God box. The whole world is the temple of God. The whole world is the temple of God. I'm just going to read a little bit out of Psalm 8. I just love this. It says, O Lord, our Lord. Oh, and actually, when that passage I just read from Colossians was written, they were kind of echoing back to this psalm, which I think is pretty cool. Like they were drawing from the ideas from this psalm when they wrote it to kind of say that Jesus was this God that the psalm was writing about. So this is Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And I think we sometimes don't have an issue with that. Like we can see nature and be like, wow, God is so glorious in nature. But we forget that the greatest glory of God is humans, like other than God himself. He put his glory in us and he put his image in us. And so he goes on in the psalm and says, you know, because the, the psalmist says, you know, why would you care about people? They're so little. And then it says, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them charge of everything you have made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And I think that's so beautiful. It says that nature tells the glory of God, but that God has put us on the earth as humans to rule and to have dominion. It says he gave us authority. That ties back to Genesis 2, when God gave us dominion to rule on the earth. He gave us a job to do. And God is glorified through us through our lives, through our jobs. Does that mean that everything we ever do and everything about the world is perfect and glorifies God? In case I have to clarify, no. I think we basically know that. You know, this world is broken and it is not perfect and we do not show the glory of God perfectly whatsoever. The glory of God is not shown in the world perfectly at all. You know, we've sinned and it's fractured and it's not 
all there and it's not all right, but that does not mean that the glory of God is not shown on the earth. Psalm 8 was written long after the fall. Colossians was written even longer after the fall. God's glory is still on the earth and God's glory is still shown through us and through our lives. The whole world boasts the glory of God. A great wave caught, a great engineering feat accomplished, a new piece of technology made, a great novel written. God is Lord of all and in all and through all. The world is not perfect, but we're not Gnostics. We don't just chuck out the whole physical world. I've often heard the quote, um, like certain people, they believe, you know, that it's like this world is like the Titanic and it's going to sink. And so basically the only goal is to get as many people in lifeboats as possible. And they say, don't polish the handrails on the Titanic because it's going to sink and it doesn't matter anyway. We just need to get as many people saved as possible. And I think that's that Gnostic way of thinking, oh, this whole world's going to poop. And so forget this. Just let it go, let it burn, just save the people. But I don't think that's the heart that God shows towards the world in the way that he writes, in the scriptures, in the way that he's wired us as people. We're not Gnostics. We don't throw out this physical world and our bodies and our lives as evil inconveniences that take us away from drawing near to God. And so our response to that There's two main responses to that, I think. The first one is that we actually have to acknowledge that God is Lord of all. And that's what I'm going to talk about first. But the other part of it is that we get to bring the kingdom of God on the earth and have that authority and that rule, which I'll talk about in a second. But firstly, do we let, because it talks in the New Testament so much about Jesus being our saviour and our Lord. And we're all cool with Jesus being our saviour. We're all cool with receiving the salvation of Jesus, and that's amazing. But we also have to realise that he is Lord. And I know that we know this, and so many of us know this and live this way. But it's just so good to remember that he's Lord. He's king of all of our lives. Not just the religion box. Of our finances, of our sexuality of our homes, of our families, of our work, of our words, of our thoughts, of all of us. He is Lord. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all in our lives. And so our challenge as Christians is to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus in our life. Not that he's not already Lord. He's already Lord. But we have to choose whether or not we're going to live under the Lordship of Jesus in the way that we live our lives. And there's a lot of, that looks like a lot of things, but I wrote down a list of a couple of ways that we can practice. And I don't think we're ever like fully there. I think it's something that we grow in and that we work on and that God shows us another area of our lives where we haven't let him be Lord and we work on that. But I think it starts with us making a decision to say, yes, God, you, you are Lord of my life. Show me how to live like that. And so there's a couple of ways. I think one way is that we can, like a couple of practical ways of doing that. One way is to stop and invite God into a moment. I had, what was happening? I can't even remember. I had this moment this week where it was like two different crises were happening at once and my head was spinning and I was like, (laughs) I don't want to do what I don't want to do. And I had this moment of like, no, God, you're here in this. You're Lord of this moment. And I'm going to acknowledge you as Lord. And ask you to help me and I normally don't do that so I'm not like 
perfect, amazing Christian or something. But I'm learning that I stop in the middle of my crisis and say, you are Lord, even in this, God. I see you even in this. Help me. I submit myself to you in this moment. Teach me how to do this well. Um, we can submit our finances to him. A huge way we do that is obviously by tithing and um, giving, but actually saying, God, how do you want me to spend my finances? You know, sitting down, if you're single, just with yourself and God or with your partner, if you're married, and praying, God, what do you want us to give this year? What do you want us to save this year? And maybe he'll say, go have a holiday. You need to invest in your marriage. It's not like God's just going to like take everything away from you and be a killjoy. He's a great king. He wants you to live an awesome life and have an awesome marriage, an awesome family. And maybe he will say, you know, give up your holiday money to bless someone else. He does both things, but we can trust that all in all, God is good and that whatever he does is good and is the best thing for us and the best thing for other people. So we actually submit our finances to him. We submit our sexuality to him. And that looks like, you know, waiting till we're married to have sex and staying faithful in marriage. And it's much more than that. It's, you know, what we look at, what we allow in our Instagram feeds, what websites we're looking at, what we're thinking about in our thought life. Jesus talks about even lust being not okay in his world, in his kingdom. And so we submit that to him. And it's not something we necessarily have perfect right away, but we submit that to him. We say, God, help me. My sexuality, my body is not my own. It's yours. You bought it with a price. And so I want to honor you with this body that you've given me. And sexuality, God created sexuality. It's not like something he's like, oh, ew, how did that happen? Like he made it. He wanted it. It's part of his kingdom. It's part of what he made. So we can submit it to him and trust him in that. We can um, practice the presence of God. I kind of already said it with that crisis moment thing, but talking to God throughout our day, checking in, telling God thank you for things. I don't know, I'm sure some of us here, has anyone here read Anne Voskamp's 1000 Gifts, that book? Yeah, a couple people. I, I love that book just the main premise of it what she talks about in that book is um is gratitude and acknowledging God as Lord of our life through being really grateful and through stopping and thanking God for tiny things and receiving them as gifts rather than taking them for granted and so maybe like this morning I was sitting in bed and I know last night I was sitting on the lounge typing away at my message and Dave was in the other room practicing guitar for this morning and I stopped and said okay God thank you this is beautiful like this is a beautiful moment of us working together you know for your kingdom and thank you or maybe you know like because we have pet sheep and so when I go out in the morning sometimes to feed them I'll stop and I'll pat them I'll be like God thank you like this is beautiful like you know the sun's rising and there's sheep and they like us finally and it's great you know and so I thank God for that moment and, and I think he wants us to be like that to have our eyes open and to receive moments with gratitude acknowledge him as Lord in our moments One thing that Dave and I try to do a lot is that we wait before God when we have to make decisions and we pray together and we wait on God together and we say, all right, what did you feel like God said? What did you feel like God said? And I feel like that's a great way of, you know, God being Lord within our marriage and in our home is that we decide together before God. And I think that, that, I mean, obviously if you're not married, you do that yourself before God. And I did that before I was married. But um, 
yeah, not to just decide based on our reason and our thinking all the time, but actually to sit before God and say, God, what do you want? I trust you to be Lord of this. And so that's just a couple ways that we can draw near to God in all of our lives by acknowledging him as Lord of all of our lives, not just the spiritual parts. And yes, the spiritual parts too. Absolutely. Go to church, read your Bible, all that. Yes, please do that. That's amazing. But to draw near to God with all of our lives, to press into receiving him as Lord in all of our lives. And the second thing I wanted to bring out of that is that we... Not only do we receive the lordship of Jesus and be put ourselves under the kingship of God, we get to actually bring the rule of God on the earth, which is pretty incredible. That's what it was saying in that psalm verse. Oh, here we go. Let's turn back to it. It says, You gave them, yet yeah, you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. So we get to either bring great things on the earth or bad things. And God didn't have to do that. He could have said, I am the king of the world and I'm going to control everything that happens at every second. But he didn't. He was generous. He gave the authority away to us as people. And we stuffed up real bad, but he gave it to us and he let us keep it. And so every day, as someone with authority in the earth that God has given us, we get to choose what we bring on the earth. We get to choose whether or not we're going to bring the kingdom of darkness, of hate, of discouragement, of dishonesty, of selfishness, or if we're going to bring the kingdom of God, of beauty, of truth, of excellence. And every day we get to choose that and we get to bring that. In Colossians 3 verse 1, I'm pretty sure Pastor Shane read this verse actually a couple of weeks ago. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And I love that. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. And that doesn't mean spend all your day thinking about angels and gold streets. Sometimes it's encouraging to think about that. You can think, you know what? It doesn't matter. One day I'm going to be in heaven. It's going to be awesome. I can handle this. But also the realities of heaven don't just mean thinking about angels and gold streets. It means thinking about the kingdom of God, the place where God is, the place where God rules. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And do we mean that? Like, do we actually want the rule of God to come on earth the way it is in heaven? I've been um, reading through the devotional series. I think we're going to be up to Matthew 11 tomorrow. So if you've been behind, it's your chance to, chance to catch up. But um, we've been doing up, oh, but we were reading through Matthew, um, the start of Matthew. And Jesus does this, you know, big preach, which we all know is the Sermon on the Mount. And he preaches about what life in the kingdom of God is like. And he talks about it heaps. And it's amazing teaching that we just read through. But then the next section, Jesus shows what the kingdom of God is like. So he talks about it. And then he's like, I'm going to show you. And so he goes out and he heals a guy. And then he heals another guy who the Jews would not have liked. And then he goes out and he heals more guys. And then he calms a storm. And then he casts some demons out of some guys. And then he heals another guy. Um, And then he heals another two people and raises a dead person and heals some blind people. He's like, look, guys, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God, but I'm going to show you. The reality of heaven is that people are resurrected 
and people are healed and there is provision and there is enough and I'm going to bring that reality of heaven on earth. And so he healed people. And I, I think it's so cool. Where's the verse? I think it's in... Oh yeah, I love this. In, in Luke chapter 10 verse 9, he says, Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. He heals the sick because that's what happens in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of heaven, the sick are healed. Does that mean that every time we pray for someone, they will be healed? Unfortunately, no. If you've prayed for someone and every person you've prayed for has been healed, please come tell me. I would love to know how. That's amazing. But for most of us, we pray for people and they don't always get healed. But we continue to pray because we pray that God's will will be done on earth the way that it is in heaven. And if you pray for 10 people and one of them get healed, that's one more person that would have got healed if you didn't pray for any people. So we pray and we ask God that people will get healed on this earth. He cast de- so that there's tons of ways that Jesus brought the kingdom. He valued children and women so much in a time that didn't. He brought abundance at wedding feasts. And when he fed the 5,000, there was enough. There was more than enough. He brought abundance because that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. He was not about corruption. He cleared the temple when all the merchants were set up in the temple. He's like, this is no, this isn't my kingdom. We don't extort people in the place of worship. Are you kidding me? He talked about different structures of leadership, of leading through service. He valued those that others disregarded. He taught education in a new way. He brought the kingdom of God on earth through the way that he lived. And so when we set our minds on heaven, we're setting our minds on the kingdom of God, on the ways of God, and on bringing those things on the earth. And so we were reading a bit through Colossians. So we're going to turn back to Colossians. I love this. This is at the end of Colossians 3. It says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I'll read it again. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And then straight after that, it goes into the instructions for Christian households about how to be a wife, how to be a husband, how to be a child, how to be a a slave in those times. Even that comes under the lordship of Jesus. They're like, hey, whatever you do, do it as the Lord. Be a wife as a representative of God. Be a child as a representative of God. Be a worker as a representative of God. In all our lives, we bring the kingdom in our spheres of influence. If God's the expert on all these things, we seek him on it. We trust that he's a good king of it, that he's a good boss of it, whatever it is that we are doing. In Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So whatever we do, we bring excellence because we're doing it before the king of all the universe. Even if it's something we think is menial and nothing, we bring excellence because we're doing it before the king. We do it with kindness. We bring beauty because as humans, we just can't help it. We love beauty so much. We just can't help it. Because God's made us like that. He made this world so beautiful. It didn't have to be. Nature is not primarily functional. It's primarily beautiful. It's functional as well. But God didn't have to make it beautiful. He didn't have to make us love beauty, but he did. God's kingdom is beautiful. When we bring beauty, when we bring truth, when we bring goodness into situations, we're bringing the kingdom of God. If I could get the band up, that would be awesome. The Bible also talks about specifics. Those are really general, but there's also specifics. I could give a whole bunch of different examples, but um, so say economics. 
and business and the workplace. If we look through Scripture, there's heaps of places where it tells us God's principles for economics, for business. Firstly, the ability to work is given by God, Genesis 2. We need to rest, not work all the time. He gave us the Sabbath. We don't use dishonored standards because we have integrity. We are aware of who we ally ourselves with. There's stories in the Old Testament where kings made allies and everything went disastrous because they shouldn't have made that alliance. We, we are careful about who we join in a business partnership with. In um, Isaiah 28, it talks about God giving the farmer wisdom, teaching him how to farm really well. And we can apply that whatever sphere we're in. You know, God can give you specific wisdom on how to teach really well, on how to do whatever your job is really well. We worship God in abundance and in lack within our jobs. We work so that we can be generous. Ephesians 2.28 says, Use your hands for good hard work, and then you give generously to those in need. We tithe. James 2 talks about giving no favoritism based on economic status. It talks about the fact that um, workers need to be paid fairly for what they do. You don't muzzle an ox when it's treading out grain. The way to lead is to be a servant. And it talks in that time about the rain coming, which we've had very tangible reality of recently, that we can't actually provide for ourselves fully. So when we do economics, we need to realize that we need the provision of God for anything we do to thrive. And that's just a short list, but you can look at family, at media, at celebration, at government. And in all these things, the Bible gives us principles on the kingdom way of doing these things. Because God cares about them. He's not like, ooh, politics. I hate politics. I wish there was just no government. Like, that's not God's attitude. doesn't mean he loves everything that happens in government, but government's real, and he wants us to bring the kingdom of God in government, just like in every area of our lives. So when we take these principles into the workplace, we're bringing the kingdom of God there. The kingdom of God is all these things, not just spirituality. Yes, in our workplaces, we reached out to the unsaved. Yes, we are salt and light wherever we are. Yes, when we work, we make money that can be used for the kingdom of God. And all those things are true and all those things are valuable. But also, yes, the work that we do and do well is valuable to the kingdom of God in and of itself. I had a friend talking to me once and he was saying, oh, you know, the work you do in the church is so important and my work isn't really important. It's just, I just do it for money. And I was like, no, like, I really don't believe that. Like, I really don't believe that that's true. God wants the kingdom to come in all spheres. He wants the kingdom to come through religion and ministry, but he also wants the kingdom to come at the steelworks and he wants the kingdom to come in the schools and he wants the kingdom to come in Shahaba Square. He wants the kingdom to come wherever it is that you're working. The kingdom of heaven doesn't look like churches full and society a wreck. The kingdom of heaven looks like society thriving and functioning within the principles of the kingdom of heaven. So whatever it is you do, do it as an ambassador of the king. Bring God into it. Bring kingdom principles into it. I've just got one little story about how I um, do this as I'm just wrapping up. And this is, I'm not saying this is like a womanly thing or anything. This is just for me, an example of how I do it in my life. It's something that seems really trivial. 
So when I got married about a year ago, and so I started managing a home about a year ago, and I decided to have this mindset, I don't know where I got it from, but it's been like a huge blessing. I think it's because I think about this a lot, that what I do in my home, my home is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And what I do in my home and the way that my home is can reflect the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we have all have lots of things. We've got laundry and dishes and cleaning and stains and like, that's just normal. Like, that's just what our homes are like. But I've decided that in Genesis 1, what God did is He took chaos and mess and He came and He brought order and beauty and goodness out of chaos and mess. And so I've decided I'm, an, I'm like an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And so my job, and I don't say this like trivially, like I really actually mean this. In my home, I bring order and beauty and goodness. And when I'm doing that in a very real way, I'm doing what God does. That's what God does. He brings order and beauty and goodness. And I actually genuinely believe that in a really beautiful, like in a real way. When I make my home beautiful, that's what God does. He brings beauty. And I'm not saying our homes have to be perfect and perfectly decorated. My house is a mess right now. Like it's not like that, but it's just the attitude that we have as we approach these things. Our homes, our families, our lives, our bedrooms, if you like, you know, are sharing a house, can be an outpost for the kingdom of God. That when people come into, like my prayer and my hope is that when people come into my home, they feel it's a place of rest, a place of beauty, a place where they can be themselves and they can open up. Because that brings the kingdom of God on this earth in a real, really tangible way. Our calling is not necessarily to be a missionary or a preacher. We don't just live out our calling by playing in a band on Sunday or grading on the door or leading kids' church, even though all those things are great. And if God calls us to them, absolutely we do them. But our calling might be to be an awesome father and an excellent engineer. And that's our calling. If we do those things really well, we're bringing the kingdom of God. To be, or Maybe it's to be a great student. And even if, you know, we struggle at the things we're doing, we bring our best and we're great friend to the people in our school. We bring kindness. That's bringing the kingdom of God within our sphere of influence. The kingdom of God is gritty, it's real, it's everyday life. We fight to bring the kingdom of God in every aspect of our lives. Just as we put ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus, we bring the Lordship of Jesus on this earth. And so many of us are already doing this. So if this is you, I want to cheer you on. That's amazing. Like, we got to keep doing this. Thank you. Thank you for being salt and light. Thank you for bringing the kingdom in our, in our city. And maybe this is, this is new to you. Maybe you like kind of, God, this is your God box. And maybe like you bring, in, you bring him in when you want to ask him about your money or whatever. But this is the first time you're like, no, I'm going to open up and be like, God, I want you to be Lord of all. And I want to bring your kingdom everywhere. Maybe that's you this morning. And that's awesome. I want to encourage you to do that. But maybe for some of us here, Jesus is not Lord of our life at all. Like we're not, we don't know God. We're not a Christian at all. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity that if you don't know this God, He is so good. He is so kind. He loves you. He wants to give you the best life. He's the best King. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and resurrect, to set us free from our sins, to forgive us so that we could be in right relationship with Him again as our Saviour and as our King. And if you don't know Him, I want to give you a chance this morning. So if everyone could close their eyes and bow their heads. 
if, if this morning you're saying that's me, I want to know Jesus and I don't know him, but I want to. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to encourage you to raise your hand this morning as everyone's eyes are closed. If you just want to raise your hand, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you and welcome you into the kingdom of God. That's awesome. God, we just thank you so much that you are a good king and that you are a good Lord. And God, we open our lives up again to your Lordship. We thank you that whatever it is we do, when we do it with excellence, when we do it with purity of heart, that you bring your kingdom through that, God. God, may we be your hands and your feet on this earth. May we bring the kingdom in our families and in our workplaces, in our hobbies, in our sports, in whatever it is we do, God. May we bring the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome.